0: We've been on the journey concerning spiritual warfare and after going through the armor and dealing with the various aspects of spiritual warfare in the armor, we started looking at certain strongholds. We've dealt with the stronghold, I think the last message when we looked at this was dealing with gambling and that stronghold within one's life, how that develops, it's a mindset, as well as chemical strongholds and sexual strongholds, and I think there's a couple more that we dealt with, and, and then we'll look at one tonight, and we have uh, two more to go. One will be dealing with debt strongholds, and then the other one is dealing with food strongholds, and uh, we'll probably look at the one on debt next Sunday night, um, with it being Vision Sunday, we may move it the next to the next Sunday and then food stronghold, that'll be in about 20 pounds. And so we'll see how the Lord leads on that one. And, but we got to get it in there. <laughs> and So let's look at the passage tonight. And, and this is the same passage we've been looking at. I want us to still refer to this so that you know when you face whatever your stronghold might be, that we have a passage to go to. And while it may not target in specificity that particular stronghold that I'm facing at the moment, it deals and helps me understand this matter of God's mindset and deals with the whole battle that's raging. And so let's look at it here in Ephesians chapter 6. And, and let's stand and give our respect to the Word of God as we read this familiar passage. And I hope it's familiar and it'd be a good, good opportunity to use this Time, even um, uh, in just reviewing. One of the great ways to memorize scripture is just simply review. Just review. Don't even set out to memorize it. Just review. Just go over it and it'll come to memory. It was great to see the young people be able to quote and recite such long passages of scripture and getting the Word of God into their heart. And uh, getting to a place where they are becoming familiar with the Bible, and that's really good because ultimately we want them to become very familiar with the author, and uh, that's a great blessing. Wednesday night, um, uh, Priscilla she reminded me right after the service uh, the mistakes I made in the message, and and that was very encouraging because she was getting it in class and letting me know it was Elisha, not Elijah. And, um, and it was Gehazi, not Gehazi. I said, well, Gehazi. I said, you know Benghazi? She said, no. I said, well, don't worry about it. It has nothing to do with it. And, and I can't even work my way around their knowledge at this point. And, and, but it's good. It's very encouraging. I just have to explain. When I put it in my notes wrong, I am, I've, I'm always a step ahead of what I'm saying. And so if it's in my notes wrong, it's going to come out that way. And, uh, and that happens more often than I would like, but it does happen, and so that just reminds you that um, I need uh, I need to talk to the person who puts my messages together, and that's that's really the problem there. And so, uh, but I'm very encouraged with what our young people are learning. Ephesians six verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Tonight I want to preach briefly tonight um, as these strongholds tend to be very concise. I want us to look at how we can have victory over emotional strongholds, emotional strongholds. Thank you. Please be seated. As with each of these, we're simply looking at the same pattern. We're looking at the stronghold itself, and then we look at the matter of God's viewpoint of the stronghold. Then we look at God's solution. Those are the three things as we've looked at each stronghold. as how we're approaching it. We've stated in the past that a stronghold is simply a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. It's a pattern of unrighteous behavior that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. And far too many Christians are being held hostage by emotional strongholds. And what I mean by that is things such as anger, depression, discouragement, Frustration, inferiority complexes, fear, countless other volatile feelings. Now, people deal with emotional strongholds. They tend to recognize it or they tend to know it. You know, it's somebody that when they wake up in the morning, they don't say, thank you, Lord, for this new morning that you've given Rather, instead, they're saying, Lord, help me face this morning. And it's that way on a regular basis. They're always looking at the the stronghold as being that which is overpowering in their life. They struggle simply to survive. And they often live in a perpetual state of hopelessness, worry, or despair. An emotional stronghold is not the same as simply having a bad day. We all have bad days, even bad weeks. But an emotional stronghold is an attitude or it's an emotion that stays with you daily. It does more than just show up from time to time. It dictates and even dominates your thoughts, your choices, and thus your life itself. Maybe you you know somebody that when you think of them, these characteristics come to mind. They live, they're, they're, they're recognized, they're known by their depression or their frustration. They're known by their anger or their discouragement or their complex, their, their fear, their uh, melancholy. They're, they're known by this and it's a good chance that they are entangled and have this snare, this stronghold that is holding them hostage outside of the will of God. God never ordained for you to wake up every day being depressed. Amen. God never ordained. He never uh, did predestine. And predestine is a good word. In Romans chapter eight speaks of that. When you were saved, when, when you and I were saved, God predestined that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And in that plan of predestination for God's people, and, and just, just so you understand, because some people, they check out in between statements, God never predestined some to be saved and some not to be saved. Predestination has to do with those who have been saved. God predestined everybody who gets saved to be in victory. That's basically what the Bible teaches in that matter of predestination. And in that plan of predestination, God's plan for your life, it never includes you waking up being paralyzed by fear. That was never God's plan. He didn't create you to carry anger around for 5, 15, or 50 years. Rather, what God did promise is found in the words of Jesus in John 10 and verse 10, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. See, if you're not experiencing the abundant life, that that is regularly in victory, shocked by defeat. Rather than regularly being gripped by a stronghold and shocked by, hey, this is a good day. You should be shocked when it's not a good day. Why? Because of God's promise and provision for the abundant life. And if you're not experiencing the abundant life that Christ freely gives, it may result from living with an emotional stronghold. See, God wants to free you from the endless, the fruitless task of denying or suppressing emotional strongholds through distractions in your life, pills, entertainment, even spending. All of those things are simply... a a band-aid over something that's going to strangle the life out of you. What God wants to do is reveal to you the root of what you're experiencing. Just as if you go into a doctor, he's going to listen to how you feel. He may put the stethoscope up to your heart and determine something based upon what he hears. But he's also going to probe perhaps a little bit deeper and take some x-rays or tests And that is the same when we're looking to overcome strongholds, and especially emotional strongholds, because it involves going deeper, deeper than just how you feel. We want to discover the root, the cause behind it. Certainly some emotional strongholds are tied to physiological causes. There's no doubt about that, such as a chemical imbalance. And those need to be addressed physically. However, a large number of emotional strongholds are not physiological. They're rooted in sin. Let me just say, too, going back to the physiological and the physical. If it is such a thing as a physical chemical imbalance, it would do you well to get that solved and settled versus tolerating it and in allowing it to spill over or to, to have greater control and effect in your life that results in the fruit of that which is still anger and depression and frustration and inferiority complexes, even if it is a physiological cause. Get that figured out and don't, don't rely upon what you find on the internet. I just was talking with Mrs. Schultz when she was here and we were talking about some medical things and we gave a term for something. And she says, that sounds like one of those that has a lot of prefixes and suffixes and no substance. I said, that's a great way to put it. And there's a lot of people who live with, here's what I have. And, 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 and they never get it diagnosed medically it may have gotten some someone who has a certificate that may call themselves a doctor. I'm just saying you go whatever route you go. But when it causes you to live under the dominion of anger and frustration, discouragement and depression on a regular basis, you're not acting wisely. But I want to go on with many, many emotional strongholds are not physiological. They're rooted in sin. The sin may be your own. Or it may be somebody else's sin that's affecting you. Or the environment that you're in that's contaminated by sin. Maybe you were abused as a child. You were raped. Betrayed in a relationship. Unwanted. It wasn't your sin that created that stronghold of fear or insecurity or guilt or shame that you may be facing now, but it was still sin that caused it. See, emotional strongholds often come as a result of an atmospheric sin. An atmospheric sin is a sin that so clouds the atmosphere around us that it results in an affecting us whether we committed the sin or not. Similar in concept to secondhand smoke and lung cancer. You may not have smoked the cigarettes yourself, but studies show that if you grew up in a home that was chem- contaminated by cigarette smoke, you still have a higher potential for contracting lung cancer. It's because of the atmosphere in which you exist. Same holds true for sin an environment that's deeply contaminated by sin, it leads to greater susceptibility to emotional strongholds. Don't take the victim route. We're just saying we want to understand and diagnose what is causing or contributing to this. Now, there are at least three general categories of emotional sins. And these three would be the past, the present, and the future. The first category includes the strongholds re- rooted in the past. This is when emotional damage happens during a person's developmental years, either through trauma, neglect, or any negative factors. These situations create emotional grooves in your mind that eventually become part of our normal mode of thinking and perceiving. A biblical example of someone who had a past who had past emotional strongholds to overcome would be Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, who was picked on by his brothers and eventually betrayed. He was left for dead and then sold into slavery as just but a youth. The next category of emotional strongholds are those that are part of your present. This is when the trials and tests you're currently facing result in a continual emotional fatigue. Maybe it's a bad relationship or an unstable work environment. It could be a health challenge, financial burden, problems with your children or your spouse or something else. That's when the challenges of each day relentlessly attack your emotional well-being. Maybe a great example of this one would be, comes to mind is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 33, I think is a great passage to write down and look at when you're going through some present difficult circumstances. I'm not going to read the passage, but I want you to hear what Paul did face. He was beaten, imprisoned, hungry, facing physical ailments, often in danger of death, Yet Paul labored through countless emotional trials, boasting only of God's strength evident in his weakness. The third category of emotional strongholds involves the fear of the future. The fear of the future is what we would call worry. Worry. Have you ever been called a worry wart? I don't know why that ever became a title. But it's really not a good thing that we trivialize it. Worry can be referred to as an interest paid on trouble before it's due. Worry means you're scared about your tomorrow. You ask yourself questions like this. What if I get cancer? What if I... Have a heart attack? What if one of my children dies? What if we lose our retirement funds? What if we foreclose on our mortgage? What if this marriage doesn't make it? What if? What if? What if? Yet the Bible commands us not to be anxious for tomorrow. Matthew 6 34. Take therefore, Jesus said, after a long list of things that he logically laid out for his disciples, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. See, a person bound by an emotional stronghold for the future, they become paralyzed today. They're losing today because of what they're worrying about that is before them. Another character that comes to my mind is a woman by the name of Esther. Esther had every reason to be held hostage in fear due to the future. After all, she was fully aware that the king had given and Irreversible decree to completely annihilate both she and her people. Regardless, you don't find Esther cowering to a fear of the future. Instead, she walked victoriously in the present circumstance in which she lived. I want you to see not only the stronghold, but I want us to see God's viewpoint. When we talk about emotional strongholds, let's let's look at it from God's viewpoint. Jesus says that in this world, John 16 and verse 33, he gives us some great insight. In this world, that is the past, that is our present and our future, we're going to face trials. He says, and the effects of sin that we are facing, um, they're going to be there. We can't get away from it. But despite the trials that we will face and the sin that will, that will surround us, here's what he says. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. These things have I spoken unto you. That in me ye might have peace, Jesus said. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's God's viewpoint. You say, but God, and God says, you don't have that right. And God declared it. Our emotions are based on the choices we make. Did you know that? Yeah, know. Which in turn are based on what you believe. It's not based upon what you say you believe. It's based upon what you believe. If we truly believe that Jesus has overcome whatever we are facing and that we're fully complete in Jesus and we're fully accepted in the beloved, that is going to alter our emotions and how we respond during trials and difficulties and testings. It doesn't mean you will always feel like being of good cheer all day, every day. It, It does not mean that being of good cheer is automatic. But what it does mean is when you and I have God's viewpoint and you recognize and you truly believe what God says to be true, that he has overcome the world and faith in him makes you an overcomer and you're complete in him, you are accepted in the beloved and you recognize that nothing is too hard for God, then you will be of good cheer that is going to be the norm of your life. That is called revival. John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus was teaching his disciples what normal Christianity looks like. And this verse, John 16, comes in the midst of his revival discourse of what normal Christianity looks like. Where does it come from? It comes from making right choices based upon right belief. It's a result of relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things Jesus talked about, John 14, 15, and 16. He says, I have to go. They didn't want him to go. He says, I have to because when I go, there'll be another of the exact same kind as myself. While I can't be with you everywhere all the time, he, my spirit, will be with you and he'll never leave you. He'll always be with you. He'll be your comforter and guide and teacher into all truth. And when you and I rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience normal Christianity being of good cheer. Be of good cheer. This is one of the essentials of being revived. Listen, we've talked about Galatians 6, bearing one another's burdens, being a help in restoring people. Don't condone when someone's not of good cheer. You want to be gentle, correct, and point out you need revival. Revival. Jesus was of good cheer always. If he's in you, he was in you, He moved in you to live his life through you. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the power of the Godhead to be of good cheer. That's God's viewpoint. Well, my day's bad. It's not worse than Jesus' days here upon this earth. And he was victorious. He overcame them. Why? So that you can overcome them by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So we see the the, um, stronghold. I don't know if you really see it or not. God's viewpoint. I'm not sure if you're convinced of it or not. I don't even know if we should move on to the solution. But here's God's solution. And some of you, I think, are snoozing. You snoozing? Is this a snooze fest? I'll chuck a hymnal at you if I have to. You're going to have to catch it. This is better than snuff, not quite as dusty. I hope you get some of this. God's solution, number three. The cure for any emotional stronghold, well, it's not to deny that it exists. It's like talking to the drunk. I don't have a drinking problem, he says. <laughs> I don't have an emotional stronghold. I'm just depressed all the time. I'm not even depressed all the time. I'm just not happy anytime. I'm not discouraged. I'm just not doing well. Denying it's not going to help. Just as you can't cure cancer by pretending you don't have it. You can't overcome an emotional stronghold by wishing it away. I'm just going to stay in bed, and when I wake up, it'll be all gone. No, it won't. You might be arrested, emotional wreck. Neither does the cure come through distracting yourself from it. Again, I'm going to go shopping, and, and, and I'm convinced that many people out there shopping or emotional wrecks. That's what Black Friday was designed for, for all the emotionally crazy deranged people. (laughs) If you're not paying attention, I'll throw anything in there. (laughs) Distraction, listen, there's nothing wrong with having diversions in our life, but distractions can provide a temporary relief at best, but they're not going to offer you a long-term solution. In fact, it's just going to enable and allow for maybe another stronghold to develop. In fact, oftentimes distraction can eventually develop into such a stronghold that you'll find yourself not just being having an emotional stronghold, but now you've got an eating stronghold, a spending stronghold, a drinking stronghold, a sexual stronghold, an entertainment stronghold, leaving with more to overcome than when you first began simply because you did not embrace the reality of the problem. You are just trying to deny its existence. You also cannot overcome an emotional stronghold by giving in to it. How do people give in to it? Well, some will cut themselves. Some just end up cussing. Some just shut down. But doing any of those things, they're not going to end the stronghold. You're just going to feed it even more. You're just pacifying it until the next time your emotions ask you to repeat the behavior. So what is God's solution? Well, the key to overcoming emotional strongholds is, as in the cases we've talked about already, it's to understand and address the root of them. It's because emotions, the emotions themselves, they don't really have any intellect With which to reason. You can't just reason with your anger, your depression, your discouragement. Our emotions practically are just dumb. Our emotions don't think. Emotions simply react off of borrowed thoughts. Therefore, whatever or whoever controls your thought life is what's going to control your emotions. The root of all emotional strongholds can be found in what you think and what you believe to be true. If Satan is influencing your thought life, you will feel what he wants you to feel. If God is dominating your thought life, I'm not talking about dabbling with God. I'm saying when there is a, a stronghold that is there, you're going to have to get aggressive with God in attacking that area. I do not take chemotherapy because I don't have a need for that. But when I, if I were developed, uh, were diagnosed with a cancer and that was the prescribed remedy, we're going to get serious about it as some of you have. And some of you may deal with certain strongholds. You cannot afford to dabble with God. The devils, James chapter 2, the devils believe in God and they tremble but the devils will one day be cast and hurled into the lake of fire for all of an eternity. You cannot be dabbling with God. God must dominate your thought life so that you'll feel what God designed you to feel. Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You're not always what you think, but as you think, That's what you are. Say you go to buy a car. This would be Luigi's pastime. I'm glad it's not a sport because Luigi would have his own team. But let's say you go to buy a car and the salesman tells you at the dealership that you, you can't buy this car because he can't offer you a loan even though you have excellent, stellar credit. But, he says, no place is going to touch you giving you a loan. Well, if you were prepared and ready and your heart was set on buying the car, and that's why buying with cash would be a lot better option, wouldn't it? Um, You don't have to worry about that aspect. But you will likely leave that car lot with your emotions running low. Because it doesn't make sense. However, let's say that dealership called you on your way home and said, they made a mistake and you do qualify for the loan. What's your next question? How much is that? And then they say, not only do you qualify for a loan, but you will have 0% interest. Now your emotions are really high. Can you see in that short moment how your emotions can go from one end to another end, like a pendulum swing, and it's based upon what you thought, based upon what you believed. See, emotions merely respond to our thoughts. Therefore, we overcome emotional strongholds through our thoughts. What you believe determines how you respond, and how you respond ultimately determines how God responds. It's a, probably a poor example, but to my, in my mind comes a football example. Say a, a football team is on their opponent's 45-yard line. You've, they've got about 30 seconds left, and, and they're down by five points, and they need a touchdown uh, to, to win. And so 30 seconds left, they don't really have a, a great, great standing on the 45-yard line. But they attempt to pass down the field and the intended receiver is knocked down by the defensive player and the receiver, the offensive guy is down on the ground and he's dejected. The crowd is roaring and and it was a pretty... Uh, um, A a pretty great size of a collision that took place. But then the referee, that's the guy with the stripes and the whistle, he takes this yellow rag out of his pocket and he throws the flag and he calls defensive interference. Now, that changes things. And when that offensive team, they were in a bad situation or not a great situation, not a lot of time left to to, uh, get down the field... Because of the defensive interference, now they're able to have, well, especially if it's the NFL, if it's the NFL, they get an automatic first down. The ball is placed where that penalty occurred. So the closer to the end zone that that occurred, that's where the ball would be placed. And and that goes, that's why in the NFL, the defensive interference call is one of the most hated calls because of how much is at stake. In college, it's simply a 15-yard penalty from the line of scrimmage and an automatic first down. In high school, it's a 15-yard uh, penalty uh, from the line of scrimmage, and it does not always result in a first down. Are you following me on this? Are you getting this? And do, do, Does anyone know that we're talking about football when I'm mentioning this? And, but let's say that offensive player, that receiver that got knocked down, he didn't like how he got hit and roughed up, and it was an illegal... Move on the defensive guy. That's why the flag was thrown. But the offensive player gets up and instead of getting back to his huddle or getting back to the team and and, and getting into this, this new position because now they're closer and they're a lot closer than before with a lot better opportunity to score. Instead of getting back to his team, he gets up and gets in that defensive player's face and he pushes and shoves and he takes a swing. And I'll never understand why they take swings in football with a helmet on and it's not going to do any damage. Whatsoever. I'll tell you why. It's because there's a lot of emotional strongholds in those men's lives. And uh, though they, no, it won't do any good. They just have to express their dislike. But if he responds wrong, the referee's going to have something to say about that. And rather now, instead of being in a good position to score and win the game, he's likely to be thrown out of the game And actually even lose and go back even further. How you respond is often a reflection of what you believe. If that player believes that that referee is calling it right and understands by that call it puts them in a good chance to win, he's going to respond right. But if he believes that that referee is not going to catch it, he's not going to see it, doesn't really care, and he doesn't understand the significance of that flag being thrown, he's going to take matters into his own hands, and the referee is going to respond in a completely different situation because of what this player's wrong thinking leads to. Listen, if you don't believe that God has your best interest at heart and that he won't do anything about the wrongs that happened to you or the emotional struggles that you're facing, you're going to try to take things into your own hands. And what happens when we take things into our own hands? What does it look like? We sulk. We complain. We whine. We accuse people of not being what they ought to be. We manipulate. We try to to gain for ourselves what we believe we were gypped or ripped uh, from our experience. And we, like the offensive player, rather than just letting the referee do its job, we take matters into our own hands and it puts us in a lot worse situation. And then we still complain because we're in denial, defensive mode, and we become the victim rather than taking responsibility. I want to tell you what this does is it places God in a completely different position in your life. He wants to be your deliverer, but he now has to respond to you in a different way based upon what you have done. Friend, God saw what happened to you. He sees what's happening to you and your fear about what may happen to you in the future. He sees it all. We often inhibit his response. We prevent His deliverance in our lives by trying to take care of the things our way. And what that does is it compounds your problem. It doesn't solve it. It compounds your problem and it adds to your sin and that atmospheric sin that you experience. It adds to that and it impacts you even greater. In other words, God is saying through His Word and His promises, He's saying... He's the one with the stripes. He will handle it for you. If you will just let him. Why don't you let him? Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, don't take vengeance. Let God handle it. John 16, 33, we, we already talked about. He's overcome the world. Let him deal with it. Isaiah 53 and verse five, by his stripes... We're healed. Let Him do it. When experiencing intimacy with Christ, that's the key. That's why I asked the Schultzes again on that Sunday school a couple Sundays ago to deal with the Christ Walk Journal because it's about intimacy with Christ and when you're intimate with God you're going to gain a perspective on God in His fullness His goodness, His power and that is the key to overcoming any stronghold but especially emotional strongholds you see when you know Not in fact, not in theory, not by principle, but by experience. You know that Christ is real. And when you're abiding in Him and you live according to His truth, whatever is going wrong in your life no longer has the final say. Oh, it may have a say, but it just won't have the say. Jeremiah lived life this way. If anyone had a reason to be bound in an emotional stress, it'd be the prophet Jeremiah. His city was destroyed. His people were falling apart. His future looked bleak. Yet this is what he said. This is what Jeremiah said despite all of that. Lamentations 3, verse 21 through 24. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. But Jeremiah, don't you remember that your life is a mess, your city's destroyed, your people are falling apart and your future looks bleak. He goes on to say, his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I want to tell you, hope, hope. Hope, Bible hope, it can take you a long way. When people are struggling with emotional strongholds, what I endeavor to do is check their hope meter. Because when you've lost hope, you've lost everything. What is hope? Hope is the belief that my tomorrow will be better than my today. I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about taking God's promises. David knew about the power of hope when life looked hopeless in Psalm 42 and verse 3. He said, my tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? See, when your tears are your food, you are no longer eating. You've lost your appetite. You're checking out of life. Yet David, when he reached this low point, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. You know what he did? He spoke back into his situation. The same chapter, Psalm 42. Notice these verses. Verse 4, David said, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 42, verse 8, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of, life, of my life. Verse 11, he says again, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. He says, when I put confidence in God and I am praising God, not only is he the help, verse number five, of my countenance, he's the health of my countenance. Let me ask you, how's your hope meter? David said that even though he was in misery at the moment, he would remember what God had done for him in the past. In fact, David and Jeremiah said they would recall or they would remember some aspect of God's truth. So David trusted that God would command his loving kindness. Once again, he did it in the past, he'll do it again. He hadn't done it yet, David is telling us. Things still look discouraging, David is saying, but David knew that God would come through in his perfect timing. It was that truth that caused David to change his emotional well-being from that of tears to hope. How's your hope meter? Friend, God can turn a mess into a miracle if you just put your hope in him. He promises, Isaiah 49, verse 23, And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. In fact, God is able to turn things around so completely and satisfy you so fully that He will do more than merely bring you out of your emotional bondage. He can even cause you to forget how deep it ever was. He did it for Joseph Remember we talked about Joseph a moment ago? He can do it for you. When God restored Joseph, all he had lost. And when he restored Joseph, he restored him to even more. And Joseph gave his sons two very revealing names. The first son he called, does anyone remember? Manasseh. And the second son was named Ephraim. Manasseh means the Lord has helped me forget. And Ephraim means the Lord has made me fruitful in my suffering. I want to tell you the Lord can do a miracle in your life as well. I know your emotions may seem overwhelming. Mine will seem that way as well. And you may even wonder how you could ever overcome them. Hope in God. Hope in God. Replace the lies holding you hostage with His truth in your mind and address whatever related sin is there in your life. Don't dwell on it. Just deal with it. And let God take your emotional suffering and turn it into victorious living. How's your hope meter tonight? Let's stand together, please.